Let's face it, running a construction company can be chaotic. As business owners, we wear a lot of hats and we're constantly putting out fires. Luckily, there's a way to work simpler with Build a Trend. I'm a huge advocate for using technology to help run AFT, and Build a Trend is one of the most crucial tools I rely on to keep me on top of every detail. Built just for home builders and remodelers, this is an easy-to-use platform that helps manage all aspects of my business. My team's been using Build-A-Trend's project management platform for the last five years, and we love that they're always improving and adding new features to make our lives easier. This is something that we've really tried to take on internally to find ways to improve our system every day. Build-A-Trend just released a full set of financial services, added new tools like Takeoff to make estimates more accurate, and launched a total rebrand with a new mission to help change the future of construction, and we are on board. To learn more about how Build-A-Trend can help calm the chaos in your construction business, visit buildatrend.com backslash AFT. When you schedule a demo, you'll receive an exclusive 60-day money-back guarantee only available to my podcast listeners. I'm following Build-A-Trend into the future in construction. Come on board with us. And we're so used to working in our business. And I think that's one of the biggest lessons as an entrepreneur is you have to, with intention, make the time to step back and you work on your business. So welcome to the podcast. Very excited. We have Abby Murad on with us. Welcome, Abby. Hi, thank you. It's awesome to be here. Yeah, super excited to have you. So Abby is the Senior Director of Learning and Development. I mean, that's one of your titles as many and host of, you, you have your own retreat that you're going to speak about, I'm sure today, which is incredible and do a lot of online learning and education and the entrepreneur project, which I love the twist there being that most of our listeners are entrepreneurs. And now you speak about the entrepreneur, which I think we start there. So when you speak about entrepreneur, you know, name or um, meaning behind it. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, it's, it's the entrepreneur project and I, I kind of moved towards this word. It was a buzzword and I was hearing a lot about it in corporate. Like, are you an entrepreneur? And what does that mean to people when you say entrepreneur? But I think for me, I was a full-time employee for a lot of years in corporates from small organizations to big public companies. And then I do what a lot of people do, kind of get to a point in your career and you're like, I can go do this by myself. <laughs> I want to be an entrepreneur. So I left corporate and I started a brick and mortar business. My husband and I opened a franchise and then I started a consulting business. And I kind of started going down that path thinking it would make me happier. And first of all, it's not nearly as easy as everybody tells you it is to go do your own thing and run your own business and do all of that. Um, and I think you think the skills you have in your job prepare you to run your own business. And there's a lot of differences in those two things. So while I thought I had all these skills that were going to help me run, it was an ice cream store. I was like, how hard can this be? I've read multi-million dollar budgets and P&Ls and I've led hundreds of salespeople at a time. I can manage 10 teenagers. <laughs> right? I should be able to do this. Um, and I learned that I was still missing something. I thought, okay, this is what's going to make me whole. This is what's going to make me happy. And then I, I was still not happy. And so I got an opportunity to go back to an organization as a full-time employee but what I did this time was I took the skills I learned as an entrepreneur and I began to use those skills as an employee. And then I held on to a piece of my own business. So I balanced a full-time job with a full-time business. 
And therefore I became an intrapreneur, kind of bringing all of those things together. It's a good breakdown, you know, and, and I think it's really important, as you mentioned, it's, it's one thing when you go from the entrepreneurship, many of us, and I'll, I'll speak to my industry. So in construction, pretty low barrier to entry. Many people have been excellent carpenter, great roofer, great, um, you know, cabinet company. I mean, whatever the company they work for. And then you go start your own business and you realize quickly, Hey, it's one thing when I'm working and I have the skill set of estimating and project management and scheduling. But now when I'm running the company, this is not, it's not nearly the same. They're not two, two and one. These are totally different companies. And that's why most businesses fail is that you may be really talented at the skill set, but running the business is completely different. Yes. And we're so used to working in, in our business, right? And I think that's one of the biggest lessons as an entrepreneur is you have to, with intention, make the time to step back and, and have those moments where you work on your business and you look at it through a different lens. And when we move from working for someone else to our own business, we, we kind of flow into, I know how to do. And so we keep doing, right? And it's hard to step back and say, okay, I need to stop doing and I need to, I need to look at it from a different perspective and work on my business instead of in my business today. But it is, um, it is different and it's hard. And there's, there's good and bad to both of those places in your life. And it's just where you kind of end up. And, I think once I was owning my own business and I started to have employees, I have to remind myself that I'm a company now, right? When you have employees as an entrepreneur, you're, you're part of corporate America and you are dealing with employees and employee relation issues and um, team dynamics and collaboration. And so being able to do those things, if you're not going to just be by yourself for your whole business, you know, you have to be able to bring all those skill sets together. Yeah, that's a really good analogy. And then when you when you think about as you've worked with business owners and maybe even your own application, Abby, um, what, you know, you often hear I should be working on my business, not in the business. And in the business is pretty straightforward, right? We know the things that have to be done. The phone's ringing. There's tasks to be done. That that crisis mode stuff that you're dealing with the day to day. But when you say I need to take time to focus on my business, look, it could be broad. It could differ differ by industry. But are there s- specific things that you should be doing? Is it maybe systems, protocol. I mean, what are certain key aspects that all of us who are want to work on the business should be focusing on? Yeah, I think it's it's strategy and planning, right? It's forward thinking. It's saying that today or for this hour, whatever I'm doing, I'm not worried about the goal I'm trying to meet today or this week's deliverables. Now it's time for me to say, if I want to be here in two weeks, in 30 days, in 90 days, in a year, what are the things that I have to do today that feel like they're not a priority, but if I don't do them today, there's no way I'm going to be where I want to be in a year from now, right? So it's being able to do that forward thinking. And then I, I definitely think being able to constantly audit and evaluate your business from a process and efficiency standpoint, right? We do the things we're used to doing, but can I do it better? And so it's, it's either collaborating, asking for help or stepping back and trying to take those processes apart, even if they're working, and see if they can get better. So I think process improvement, efficiency, long-term strategy, marketing, right, networking. Who who do I need to talk to? Who do I need to bring into my space? Who do I need to know? Again, may not give me results today, but those are the things. Like when you look at a successful entrepreneur, coach, or even a you know a larger company, software companies, construction companies. And you think about where you are once you've reached 
a level of success. You can probably pinpoint things you did two to three years ago that that was the moment. And if you didn't do the thing that you did in that moment, you wouldn't be where you are today. So I think for me, that's working on your business. It's how are you expanding your networks and meeting people and making sure that you're doing things other than that tactical in the moment stuff. So valuable. It's funny because when I was early in my career, before I started my company, um, it was the boom. I mean, it's a housing boom. I'm in Phoenix and Arizona and, you know, market's going crazy. Everyone's like, this isn't going to stop, you know, as we're riding this, uh, this train. And um, we all know what happened with the housing collapse and the recession that happened was interesting. The company I was working for, I remember specifically that they had stopped marketing. They had stopped networking. We had a lot of work. There's, you know, everyone's working in the company in this project. We had some big projects at the time. And so everyone's consumed on the day to day. And it's really important that you're bringing up the, the marketing and networking aspect, Abby, because I think about as I've, I don't want to say matured, but as you get longer in your business, right? As you get longer in the entrepreneurship journey, essentially you realize the power of networking, you, not just in my network, not just in my construction little bubble, but also with professionals outside of it for whether it's enhancing business practices, whether it's future client that could be on the other end of the spectrum there, you know, through social media and other, you know, networking events I'm attending. And what happened was with the company is that, yeah, the recession comes, they weren't marketing, they weren't networking, and the fountain, you know, the water faucet turns off, and now there's no work, and now you're laying off all your people. And it's just amazing that a lot of this is long-term, but when you say working on your business, essentially that's what you're walking through, right, Abby? That there's there comes a time when not everything's as great as it may be today, and we have to prepare for that down the road. We do, and that brings up memories to me of when everything. So I, I spent almost 20 years in home building and in sales, sales and marketing side, and the other thing, if you want to future-proof yourself and your people and your organization, does come back to learning and development. And what are you doing? Because what I can tell you when it's an interesting dynamic, because when times are really good, we do training, kind of. Like, we will pay for training because we have money. But I think the way we take that training seriously or what we're building or the things we're doing aren't necessarily the right things to get us where we need to go. And then we stop investing in that when we don't have money. We as someone who, you know, is a victim of the boom because <laughs> I was in training, right? And what's the first thing to cut when you're looking at layoffs is you're, you're cutting your cost center. You're cutting the things that just cost us money and that you can't tie clear ROI to. And training is one of those intangibles that we, we spout let me tell, let me show you the ROI, but it's very hard to look at a budget line and say, I, I spent X amount of dollars in training and I got X amount of dollars back out of that. But what I noticed about the people who made it through that housing crisis, who stayed in sales, who are still in real estate and sales and operating today is as individuals, they were continuing their training and learning. And most importantly, as leaders, we were reinforcing those basics even when we didn't need to because we don't do this training or we don't build skills when times are good because everyone's performing and whether whether it's because their skill level is high or the market is just contributed to it it's hard to tell but when you know is when things start to change and we're in a really tough situation and all of a sudden you have a team full of people who can't handle that because we weren't holding them accountable, we weren't teaching them, and we weren't continuing that training, 
when we didn't think they need it because they were performing. And I think that's another piece to making sure as you're working on your business and preparing is that sometimes reiterating those things and doing training and focusing on learning and development and, and uh, hard and soft skills of our people, it may not give you a result or you may not see much of a difference in a good time, but you sure are going to see the benefit of that when things change. It, this this so valuable. I always look for these little nuggets that come up when I'm interviewing guests such as yourself, Abby, that you know have so much experience to to add for all of us listeners. And 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 as you were mentioning that, there there's two parts to this, right? You said, look, there's one aspect to when times are bad. Okay, economy's not great, revenue's not coming in, sales aren't there. What do I cut? I'm going to cut training, continue education. I'm going to quit work on my systems because. I, you know, I got to scramble. I got to make payroll. I mean, whatever the the fire is that you're putting out at the moment, but you're essentially, as you mentioned, those are successful. They're still investing in their business and themselves and playing the long term. And the, the correlation is interesting because marketing too, you should always be marketing even when times are great, you know, because the times will be bad and you want to make sure that there's brand recognition, all that stuff. But going back to the training aspect, the other set. The other uh, thing you mentioned is you said, you know, well, when we're busy and times are good, we may be focused on the business and we don't have time for training. We don't have time to evaluate or sharpen the saw and, you know, work on our tool, um, you know, all of our different tools that we have in the company. And so there's two parts of that when you're really busy and when you're not busy enough. But regardless, the message is you should be focused on that training and continue education and have mentors and business coaches and all these things to enhance and just better the organization and, and you know, the, the, the backlog that could be coming. Yes, all, all the time. And whether whether you're investing in your people, your organization is doing it, or you have to invest in yourself. Um, it, for me personally, in my own growth and in my own success, in every role I've had, it is that self-investment and it's taking control of that self-investment. And even as a leader, you know, as a business owner, just because I've, I'm here and I'm running a business or I'm making a certain amount of money or... I'm doing this job, you know, a dream job, whatever it is, I can always be better. I can always be 1% better. And so I have, and I have to work at that because so often you have conversations or you read things or you see things. And I even find myself like, yeah, yeah, I know that. Or I've, you know, I've heard that or whatever the case may be. Like I read a lot. I listen to a lot of podcasts, right? So like finding new material can be difficult sometimes, but, um, but you have to figure out how to get 1% better. I am great at this, but I'm never going to be perfect. So how do I keep moving to, towards that perfect and looking for those opportunities to learn and grow and investing in yourself? Because there really, there really isn't, there really isn't a better use of our time or our money than to invest in ourselves and then our people. Because I, it sounds cliche, but I really, really believe that when you invest in your people, when you invest in their growth, when you have coaching, when you have mentoring, when you have good cultures, when you have good a culture in your own head, right? Maybe you are a solopreneur and you don't have people, but there's still an aspect of culture within your business and how you think about yourself and your clients. Um, then the sky's the limit. You'll make it through things, and your your ROI will start to be there. Um, if you don't invest in those things, it's going to be a lot harder journey for you. So sound advice. Um... Let me ask you this, because I, I saw this as we were prepping for the conversation today, the joy joints exercises. Yes. <laughs> but that's actually how I kind of got started on, on consulting. I went on a, a journey to 
journey to joy is what I call it. Um, I was in a really rough spot and I needed to figure out how to create joy where it didn't exist and how to stay in control of my emotions and my reactions and find joy in places where it just felt like there was no good. And so I started doing these things and then I created so I could teach others the five exercises to strengthen your joy joints because just like our, our bodies and when we're on a health journey and we're exercising and we're building muscle and we're building endurance, right? We're creating energy that way. Um, to have joy and joy as a value and joy as a habit, you got to exercise it on a regular basis. And so that is what joy joints are. They're that piece of us that we continue to build. It's joy as a value and joy as a habit so that you're never without it. Um, and so the five exercises for me are ways that you can start to change your mindset and do things to find that joy in that every day. Do you have any specifics on what someone's exercises are or what has <laughs> led to the success for you? Or maybe that's where we sign up for the coaching, right? From Abby, no, but... yeah, no, but I give away the joy joints all day long, but and now you're going to like, I don't have to sit. I don't have them in front of me. Think that, you know, I would, I created them. I would know them off the top of my head, but um, they are stretch. Right. So stretching is about stretching to find the good in any situation and other people, because we all have to deal with people we don't like. It's just reality. And whether they're they're just not great people or whether it's a personality and communication conflict. So when you have that person who's constantly bringing you down or giving you negative energy, rather than stewing on that, you have to find something good. And I say it's stretching because sometimes it's like, oh, my gosh, Brad, I can't think of anything good about you except the fact that you wear really great shoes all the time, every time you walk in, right? So maybe that's a stretch, but I'm gonna focus on those shoes. Um, so it's just stretching, you know, to find the good in someone. Um, lifting weights is about letting things go, right? How do we lift those things off of our shoulders, right? Um, the balance ball is about finding balance in our lives um, between what we're doing and, and how we're projecting it. Um, we have a conditioning exercise that's about breathing and it's breathing in empathy and breathing out gratitude. So it's really just thinking about it's, it's all mindset techniques and how you can look at these things and kind of systematically go through to build joy as a habit, because I'm a big process person, right? So it's like, let me get really good at step one and then really good at step two. And then step two will lead to step three. So for me to be able to make a holistic mindset shift, I had to create a process that was going to get me there. This episode is brought to you by Pella Windows. When it comes to building homes at AFT, almost every project has Pella Windows. And they've been just an incredible partner of ours. And locally, Sammy and Adam, they are not only amazing business partners behind us, but they are super close friends. And I speak on the podcast all the time about the importance of relationships, right? Relations with our customers, with our vendors, with our suppliers. Because at the end of the day, I'm only as good as those that help our brand and assist us in our projects to, to take it from the ground up all the way to completion. And if we didn't have partners such as Pella, there's no way we'd be who we are today. Over the years, we've built this amazing relationship. When we call them or email them, they respond. They're quick. They're, their company culture, their integrity, their honesty. You know, they are always there to do what's right for us and the customer. They can do anything from small replacement projects to large custom homes and even multi-million dollar commercial projects. And also, when you think about their product line, they can do ultra-contemporary, historical preservation, and 
large traditional projects. So for anyone, any scale, any size, they're the ones to call. They're here local. You know, they have an amazing Instagram. Make sure and give them a follow to see what they're doing. So if you need windows and doors, give Sammy and Adam a call. We stand behind Pella. We love what they do, their culture, their brand, and especially their quality. And if you want to learn more about Pella Windows, check our show notes. We'll have everything tagged there so you can give them a follow and have their contact information to reach out. I love these analogies. And the reason why, I mean, I, I was writing these down as you were mentioning, but I'm thinking about lifting weights. And what's interesting is the correlation of lifting weights to letting things go, I think is fascinating for a couple of reasons. One, anyone that's worked out, like I have a pure mind that lost 50 pounds and anyone that's gone to the gym and picked up a 50 pound dumbbell, like that's, that's, a, that's a heavy... Um, piece of equipment that you're picking up and you think about shedding that weight. So essentially when you think about this, just a lot of um, things that we carry that we probably don't have to different stresses, anger, um, despair, you know, lack of forgiving others. I mean, whatever it may be, but essentially when you say lifting weights and letting things go, essentially becoming stronger, it's, it's easier to maneuver. I'm sure more clarity in your mindset, in your business and, and how it correlates to, stretching for the good as you mentioned we all need stretching and calisthenics and whatever to stay especially as we get older but you think about the value of stretching right and um i think it's really fascinating how you've made that connection and anyone listening to that can apply that to themselves thinking hey i may have something in my life that is really difficult or an employee that's difficult or a coworker, and how can i find the best in this situation absolutely and if anybody wants to hear more about the the joy joints i can shoot over Right, they can contact me, and I can shoot over. I can send it to you to post. Um, that really has all five of them and walks you through them. That's incredible. So, uh, are these? I mean, did you create the joy joints? Is this something you've learned over time? Yes, I did. I even trademarked it. And anytime I go somewhere and I talk to people, or I'm like, okay, today we're going to talk about joy joints, and I, you know, there's always a snicker in the room. <laughs> like joy joints. <laughs> so what is she talking about with joy joints? I'm like, no, no, no. Come on, guys. <laughs> But I, I did. It though. It's super creative. I mean, uh, and, and what's interesting is speaking of your journey, I mean, again, you come up with the joy joints. You, you mentioned that you were in the home building industry for a long time. What made that that transfer? You know, as you look about where you're at now, kind of what led to that? So I think it was just career evolution. So I started in home building as a, as a new home sales consultant. And there was, I think I can, if I look back and I think about that transition, every single one, every single time, it really was to the leader I had the, you know, I had a great leader and I had incredible training to do what I did. So I am not someone who could sell ice to Eskimos. Uh, people will tell me, like I've told me in the past, you're such a great salesperson. I don't see myself as a salesperson. I found an organization and a product that I was passionate about. So it was really easy to talk about it. Um, and I had people to support me. So I started selling homes and I loved it. And then I started helping onboarding others, right? So I started kind of doing training and then I wanted to move into leadership and I became a sales leader for a home builder. And then I got into processes. It's like this weird transition and I became an operations leader in, in a, a, a corporate. And then someone was like, Hey, have you ever thought about training? When I see you in a sales meeting, that's like really when you shine. Not that I wasn't good at being a VP of sales, but it it wasn't, I wasn't the best, you know, and there was a lot of things I didn't like about it, but I got in front of a sales team where I got one-on-one -on -one with a salesperson. You know, that is where, that is where I shined. That is where I felt I had the most impact and that's where I got the most joy. 
And so that ended up moving into full-time training and then that moved into learning and organizational development and culture. Because I think that for me, everything goes back to this idea of learning and developing as an individual and learning and developing others. And when we do that, we start to open up all kinds of avenues for ourselves and places we can go and things we could do that we didn't know. And so being starting to get involved with training and culture and different personalities and having to do a lot of those things, uh, I think that's when I started this journey of like, how do I move from I want a job because I want a paycheck and a title to not fighting for that anymore and not being in competition with others and just making an impact and realizing where some of my blind spots were. And I think that's where Joy Jane's came from and moving into what I do now with the Entrepreneur Project and really helping people be completely self-accountable to their employee experience and their emotions and their reactions because I wasn't and I was not a joy to be around and I will be the first to say I wasn't a nice person all the time as a leader and it took someone holding that mirror in front of me and for me to figure out how I have to change if I'm going to get better right if you if if you're not, if you want to change your life, you have to be willing to change your life. <laughs> and so I really committed to showing up differently and I had to figure out how to do that. And that's how the joy joints were born was I, I built myself a process to do all of these like things that I kept reading books and podcasts about, like just have a better mindset or just be nice to people or just have gratitude. I'm like, but how do you do that? And so that's how they were born. So when you think back about that time when you were the sales manager, you know, VP of sales, what do you think it was that led to those times that in your words that you say, you know, it's a little difficult or I wasn't always happy to be around, you know, what do you think drove that and, and how did you even realize that and understand it? I think it was stress and fear, fear of failure. Uh, I will tell you, you know, back then, back then, I'm not even tell you how long ago it was <laughs> there, you know, I was in an environment where, you know, it was a more male dominated. We all know that our industry mm -hmm. is a bit more male dominated. I was the youngest. So I was young and I was female. And I think I felt like I had to show up a certain way and I had to compete and I had to go fight for that spot at the table. And I needed to do that. I needed people to think that I had the credit. I needed it to be about me. And I needed my team to be perfect because if they weren't perfect, it was a bad reflection on me. And so I kind of was selfish in that. And I think it was because I was afraid. I wasn't willing to ask for help. And I was in this, this state of like just wanting to move up and, and compete. And, it, and I have a natural personality type that I'm already kind of a direct bullish person. So when I'm stressed, that comes out even more and I can come across a little abrupt or a little brazen people. So I think that it was all of those things and nobody trained me as a young person, right? You don't learn this in college. And when you get into a first job and that, that early job is sales and all they do is like beat into you, be competitive, be the best, be number one, win. I took that and the wrong pieces of that into my leadership role. Um, and I was, I was just doing it the wrong way. And 
you know, I, as you're sharing this story, I think a lot of us can relate, especially those that are in construction. I know for you, it's twofold. As you mentioned, I mean, being young, being female, there's definitely some challenges, especially in this industry. And I think about for me, just when I remember when I graduated college and I get into my career and being really young at the time, I still feel young, you know, but um, it just, th there's something in construction where it's just like gritty and, and sales is like that too, where, Hey, this is how it's done. Or this is how we do it. And you know, and so you're fighting this resistance all the time. And so you almost feel like you can't be yourself and you have to kind of get out of that mold, which can create challenges. And as you mentioned, you're not yourself and you have so many talents and so much understanding that there's a different way you can be successful. You can be yourself, but it's hard to have that confidence, you know, early on, especially when you're first starting your career. It is. It definitely is. So as you look about, you know, that transition, okay. So, so your VPSLs and you're now moving out, it's, not everyone has this understanding that hey, I'm going to be an entrepreneur. I'm ready to go out on my own. Were, what, what caused that venture? Were you scared about it? You know, did you have um, any reservation to go out and say, hey, I'm ready to start my own thing? So many reservations. <laughs> um, I, I think there was a, a lot of things that it kind of created the environment where I was ready. So first of all, I am, a, I am naturally a risk taker. And it's funny because I'm, I'm married to someone who's not as much of a risk taker. So when we decided to do this as a couple and like my reasons to just go and his reasons to like, let's think about this, <laughs> you know, um, but it was, so first of all, from a franchise standpoint, from the brick and mortar business, it was a brand that we had in Florida that we were very emotionally attached to. It's highly successful. We loved. And when we moved to Phoenix, it was one of those things as a family, when you're looking for familiarity that we were like, oh, we missed this place, you know, and we're like, wouldn't it be great if it was here? And when they started to franchise, we were like, let's do this, right? Because we were looking, I think what you're looking for is you're looking to diversify your income. You're looking for passive income, which don't ever open a restaurant if you think like I, that was, <laughs> exactly. I don't know what we were thinking that like this would be passive income. But I think it was one of those things that were like, well, we will hire store managers and they'll run it and we just need to like kind of be watching. And then it's something our kids could take on down the road, like a family business. Um, and then I started the coaching and consulting too, thinking, I, okay, I'm going to have all these multiple ways because I had been laid off. And, you know, when I was in home building and that was really scary. So you start to think, you start to kind of pull that entrepreneurial side to go, okay, how do I have more control over my income? And so it's, you'd be the one in control of your income. Um, and like I said, when we start talking about it, you know, my husband has a background in uh, project management and IT, you know, and I have a background in sales and marketing and you know, both leaders and I'm like, we like, how hard could this be? And so we're like, let's go do this. And there were so many challenges. And I would say the biggest challenge and one of my biggest learning opportunities, I don't regret it. I wrote an article about it um, as well, because we, we sold the business and I say we sold the business because we failed. And I a hundred percent for the first time in my life owned and was accountable to that failure. Um, but then I've, I learned so much from it, but we opened literally in the midst of COVID. Oh. So you could argue that like it was stacked against us from day one. And it just like, it was a trickle effect from there. But I think we just, we saw people around us being entrepreneurs. We saw our friends as business owners and 
too often, especially when you work with coaches, successful entrepreneurs, people who run their own business and did it, what you see and what you hear is where they are today. And I don't know that we talk enough about the awful times it took us to get here, the way we pivoted five times. Like what I do today for my business is so different than what I started four years ago. And now I'm starting to, to see that success in my own business and my own consulting, right? But it doesn't look anything like the way it started. And so I had to like stop and fail and pivot. But nobody talks about that. So I just thought like all of these people are doing it and they're successful and they're not any better than me. So let's, let's do it, right? Let's quit that. Let's quit our job and let's go into this. And it felt like it was, it was the right time and that we were ready. It's, it's fascinating. I love the aspect of the, the pivots and hurdles, right. That most people don't think about. And the reality is because from looking from afar, I'd be like, Oh, Abby's had an amazing journey. Like she knew exactly what she was doing. She worked corporate. Now she's independent. She's consulting and like this incredible mentor for so many of us, such as like Corey, who spoke so highly of you last week when he's on the podcast and without realizing that, no, there's, there's a process. I'm sure there's things where you are frustrated, where, you know, you're like, did I make the right decision? I think like all those entrepreneurs. And so you're battling these little demons that come up and just trying to pivot the career, which is really tough to do. And now being that you've been through that entrepreneurship journey and the entrepreneur project that you, you know, with you, Abby, what are some of the mistakes that you see entrepreneurs make maybe early in their career? Maybe it's a mental side of it. You know, a lot of challenges that you see young entrepreneurs have. I think especially in today's world and social media mm -hmm. and all of the noise and stuff that's out there, I see that more and more people are just jumping without a plan. And, and there is, there is this push to do that. Like I hear that in some of my circles, right? You just, it doesn't have to be perfect. You just gotta go, just try it. You know what I mean? And there is an aspect of that that you doesn't have to be perfect and right you you know done is better than perfect sometimes but if you don't have any plan i think that's a mistake that a lot of entrepreneurs are making right now they're taking like what we talked about earlier the skill set they have and they're like you know i'm a great carpenter or i can do this or i can teach that you know and so i could go do this on my own and they're not thinking through you know, how am I going to build this business? How am I going to find clients? What happens if this doesn't work out? What's my backup plan? How am I going to pivot? Are there, you know what I mean? They're, they're, they're jumping too fast. So I think sometimes it's good to go find people to talk to, ask them, don't ask them how they're successful, ask them how they failed. So before you go start a business, go find other entrepreneurs and change your line of questioning to tell me when you failed tell me when you cried tell me you know how much money you lost the first time around and then start creating your plan around that uh and then you know figuring out where the right places are you got to spend money to make money and so what is it that you can figure out on your own and what is i think we i think that's the other mistake I see a lot of people make and that I made is I look at certain things, certain parts of the business. I'm like, I can do that. Like I can't do it as well as someone I would pay to do it, but I can do that. And so I'm going to spend my money here. And the reality is I probably should have spent my money there and gotten that 
done really well um, and not think that I can just, because the world tells you you can do social media by yourself. The world tells you you can do ads by yourself. The world tells you, you know, that you can do these things. Um, or if you just pay forty nine ninety nine for a digital course, <laughs> 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 right? I'm going to give you my methodology and it can happen. And so understanding, you know, all of the things about your business and, and that one year plan. And so what are the things you need to do? now and where should you spend your money in the right places so i think those are a few things that i see mistakes and then just this idea that you're calling yourself a solopreneur you're on your own you have to do it on your own you should never ever 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 do anything on your own we are always better together you should always reach out and ask for help collaboration feedback um and not get too attached right the don't call my baby ugly don't get too attached to your baby <laughs> right and you've probably felt that as an entrepreneur too right when i create something like the joy joints you know if it had failed miserably i probably would have called crawled under a rock and cried and anytime someone says or gives me a little feedback they're like that was great but this i'm like listen <laughs> i put everything i am into this thing that i'm presenting to you um and so when someone, we get defensive instead of being open to go, mm, you know what, you're right, because you're not the one buying. As a business owner, you build your business for what you think your avatar is and for yourself, but at the end of the day, it's not you, right? And so the way you think something should be, the way you enjoy something, the way you like something may not be what the vast majority of other people like, and those are the people that you have to sell your business to. I love that. I love that breakdown too, especially when you think about earlier in the conversation when you mentioned speaking to someone about how they fail. I mean, the reality is we just don't have enough time or money, each of us, to make every mistake out there, which there's a lot to make. I know I've made too many in my career, but I think that twist is interesting to hear. Um, and and, and it's, it's a mental side of things. And the reason I'm bringing it up, like, you know, I always, I'm, I'm a big sports fan, the sports analogies. And for golf, I, I heard this breakdown of the psychologist and, and he works with a lot of golfers, right? And he said, what's amazing for anyone that's golfed is every amateur. So including myself, right? I go out and golf and I'm like, Oh, if I only made that three foot putt that I missed, you know, if only I didn't have like three chips out of the sand, you know? So I'm thinking after the round of all the mistakes I made and I could have had a great score. And he said, the funny thing is that's how amateurs think, but pros, they don't think that way. They think I just drained that 50 foot putt. You know, I just hit that drive right down the fairway. I just, you know, I got up and down out of the sand, you know, I chipped it out once and made that putt. And he said, it's interesting because that mindset is really there. They don't focus on the failures, they focus on the success. And too many times we entrepreneurs, we as people focus on the what ifs, right? Why didn't I do this? What if can the regret? And you're saying, Hey, there's an element, talk to someone else who's done that, learn from that. And now you go focus on the successes. Absolutely. Absolutely. It is, it is a complete mindset shift. And sometimes I think I don't want to go find someone who can give me their magical five steps to, you know, method to how you're going to be successful. I would like to see the person who says, here are the five things that I failed miserably that, that the mistakes I made, how I fix those mistakes, how I look at them differently right? So that you don't make that mistake again, or so that you can figure out your version of that, because you do, and you want to balance that. We always talk about how we should build our strengths and not work only on our weaknesses, right? Which I think is that idea of, especially when we're new to something, similar to the golf analogy, we're constantly looking at what we 
what we didn't do right and those regrets and all that. And then once we get more confidence and we get good, we're able to recognize, you know, the things we do really well and that we did that well. And that's what got us to the next step. And we don't worry so much. We don't worry so much about when the ball didn't go in. I'm not a golf person. So. <laughs> <laughs> when it went in that sand, went in the sand trap that one time, yeah. we don't, we don't dwell on that and let that control our ability to go to the next hole and do the right thing. So I just, I think all of it is, is that is being in control of your mindset and being really self-aware and being able to balance those things as you're moving for your on moving through your entrepreneurial journey. So as you tee up balance here, you know, Abby, and I think about something that I've seen you speak about is that you say, how do you maintain sanity while keeping your humanity? That's, that goes back to strong joy joints. <laughs> so you do that through a lot of work and a lot of self accountability and self awareness to me and to be able to create a lens um, that allows you to not react, right? To not just react and respond and move forward, but to really be in control of thinking before you speak um, and to think about and care about how the things we say and do affect those around us, right? And that's how you deal with the crazy without projecting the crazy on others, without losing some of that humanity. And I have, I have it on my whiteboard at home. This is my mantra. Um, it's what keeps me going all of the time. I have it in multiple places, so I see it. And that process is if you want to change your world, right? That's what we're trying to do. We want to change our world. We want to be in control. We don't want to give our power away. We want to have good relationships. The first thing you have to do is you have to change your lens. You have to look at things differently because when all of a sudden we can see something through a new perspective and we change that lens, then we change our words. And our words are the most important thing. It sounds hokey. People don't like to do it. But when we say, you know, don't say, I have to do it. Say, I get to do it. I know that sounds silly, but the more times you say it, then you start to believe it. So when you have a new lens, you'll change your words. And when you start changing your words, even if you don't believe them, change your words. Because once you change your words, eventually those words are going to change your mindset. And that's how you really like, change. When people say you need a better mindset or change your mindset, you can't just go to bed at night and wake up and have a new mindset. You have to do the work to change your mindset. But once you change your mindset, then you change your world, right? And for me, that is how I've been able to move from someone who wasn't as concerned about my humanity because I was more concerned about my sanity to balancing those two things together. And it's change your lens, change your words, change your mindset, change your world. That That's an impressive breakdown. I mean, you think about just the power. I mean, our, our mind's very powerful, right? There's a lot of things that we can believe into existence and reality. Um, I think all of us have experienced that to some extent. Um, you know, you talk to anyone that's really big on like vision boards or the secret and stuff that there's things that you, you can work and believe things, you know, and, and make things happen. And, but essentially just those simple practices you're mentioning, Abby, that, Hey, if I can say, I get to do this instead of, I have to do this. There's something about that bridge though, that's being built that you're like, Hey, over time repetition or whatever it is, it does change to maybe where you do like doing it and becomes easier. And, and, and that's the reality of like. I'll give a little example that I've been doing with lately. It's like, I hate the cold. There's a reason I live in Phoenix. <laughs> like I grew up in San Diego. Me too. I hate, yeah. I've lived in snow. I've worked construction in the snow. It's horrible. I can't stand it. So 
but for something that's been a weakness of mine is cold. And so I got a cold plunge, you know, and I go do that. And I find myself like there's an empowerment as I stay in it longer and I do it every day. And now it's like, you know, before where I just would hate it and hate getting in. Now I just go in because I'm actually looking forward to it. And it's, it's interesting how those little things can change. And, you know, all of us have to find little things that we're working on personally, business wise that, you know, help, you know, continue that progression. Absolutely. So from your side, Abby, I've, I'm sure you've had some incredible success stories as you've worked with, you know, many companies. What are some of the ones that maybe have had an impact on you or that make you the most proud? Oh, wow. Um, okay. This is when, um, we were just thought you were just brought him up. Um, so my dear, dear friend, Corey, and what I love to say right now is the student has surpassed the teacher. <laughs> <laughs> I think, you know, the most impact, the most success that I found in my career is when I've been able to connect with someone and, and make a change in their life and see that change happen, right? And, and feel that gratitude back because it is selfish and we want to feel that. Um, and, you know, I tell my story about Corey. When I first met him, he was a new hire coming in you know, newer into, he'd done sales for a little while in cars and another builder, but came to my builder and we were having class and everyone was getting to know each other. And someone came up to me and they were like, we were all talking about like what we want to do, right? What, do you want to stay in sales? Do you want to be a VP? Do you want to do this? What do you want to do? And that guy said, he wants your job. (laughs) (laughs) I was like, fantastic. (laughs) And so I said something to him and he, um, he was like, yeah, I want your job. How do I get your job? I said, how you get my job is you go back and you do your job really well. And this is the first time I was able to connect with someone and feel as a leader that I could give really good, honest feedback. Cause he and I over the years have had some really hard conversations where I've had to hold the mirror up to him and he's held the mirror up to me. And I, you know, there's been frustration but we, we went from working as a, a, a boss-employee relationship to working together to being best friends to now he is off doing things that there are those moments that I'm like, wait a minute, you know, <laughs> he's more successful than me right now, <laughs> you know, and he's, he's growing and doing those things. But I think, you know, for me, that story's there because that was a moment in my career that I was like, this is, this is what I love to do. And this is why I'm here. And this is how you know you're making a difference and you're creating a legacy because you're having an impact on someone that you don't realize because now that person is out and his goal is to impact a million lives, right? So I impacted him, he's impacting and you're paying it forward. So I think I'm, I'm most proud of the people that I've gotten to touch, my, my children, not professionally related, but that being another one of those ideas that now go out and do really great things, um, who just, who probably don't even need me anymore. So I think that, you know, I have other people that I've been able to work with and do those, but those are probably the things that I'm most proud of is being able to see how something you've done and helped someone has now taken them, you know, in all new directions to do things. I, I could talk about projects you know, I've had projects or I've come up with things that I've done. And I think when I look back at them, I'm proud of them. But 
they don't stick out as like, I invented this or I created this or, you know, we instituted this at one time and it was a big deal. I think that, you know, on that front, I've been able to create amazing onboarding programs for a few different companies that I'm very proud of. Um, but I think I'm mostly proud of people. I'm proud of the people that I get to work with and I get to lead and I get to be a part of their lives. Um, and I get to see them go off and do great things. How, how does that motivate you individually? And what I mean by that is, you know, so many of us, maybe those listening could be like, oh, I'm kind of stuck in this rut. You know, I'm stuck in this job. I don't really enjoy it. But there's there's a power to legacy, right? There's a power to having an impact. There's a power to um, to love what you're doing. You know, there's that quote that, hey, if, if, if you love what you do, you never work a day in your life, essentially, right? Um, and, you know, a lot of people are like, well, that may or may not be true. But as you mentioned, you think Corey, and what's funny on the podcast, you know, that was released just before yours is he mentioned that he said, I want to impact a million people and I hope it gets to 2 million. And you think about the impact you made on him and, and how that reaches. And I look at it for me, you know, part of having people that want to be at the company and, and drive and have that personal growth, they want to believe in the product, right? They want to believe in, you know, it's fun to go back and see that legacy say, we worked on that project, we built that house and someone's enjoying it. So it's pretty tangible as a builder, right? But for you as a coach, in some ways it is tangible because you look at Corey. So how does that just motivate you daily to continue to um, be passionate about what you do? I think because you know it can happen, right? Because there's a lot of, L&D can be a really frustrating <laughs> yeah. career to be in because a lot of times in a lot of places when you're like, it's time for training, you hear eye rolls. Or you're creating content. We live in an environment, especially in corporate, where it's a lot of like e-learnings and videos and asynchronous learning because it's an easy way to get training out there. And people just think, oh, I have to get there making me take this, right? So it can be feel very thankless. Or training is not uh, a magical pill that's going to fix everything. What people do with that training and then where leaders come in and hold people accountable and reinforce it is where behavior change happens. So it can be demotivating because you see it over and over. You, you pour yourself into someone or you pour yourself into content or you pour yourself into a classroom and then you see no fruits of that labor. And it's not because the training was terrible. It's because nothing happened after that training. So I think when you have, even if it's just one person, right, or you have those moments, that's what motivates you to just keep doing it because you don't even realize, right? And I think that's another motivating factor that's hard in today's environment with social media is we get this condition of like engagement and likes and are people listening to the podcast and how many, and that's how we judge our success. And you're not getting that engagement. And then all of a sudden you get an email out of the blue from someone who never engages with your stuff to say, I, this happened to me one time, Hey, I sent your article to my daughters and you're like, Oh, okay. <laughs> you know what I mean? So when you have people like Corey, when you have those moments, if you hold on to them, they motivate you to keep going because you only, you, you really only need a few of them to know that you've made a difference because you've made a difference to that person and it could be their whole world. I love that. You're speaking to me to some extent, to some extent, Abby. I mean, it's funny because I, I think it's pretty easy whether, and I don't want to disregard it so much as a vanity metric, but all of us have, hey, did I get enough likes? You know, are the podcasts being downloaded? And then as you mentioned, it's like you could be going off thinking, hey, is this 
Is anyone, you know, successful? Does it impact anyone? And I'm sure for you and L and D, as you mentioned, leadership and development, like there, there's a lot of work. I mean, this is a labor of love. There's a commitment from you. There's an accountability aspect. It's a lot, I would imagine, on a daily basis. But then when you get those wins, that's the fruit, right? That's where you get to enjoy it and really, I, I would imagine, just energizes you, you know, in the future. It does. And I noticed that too when I'm at work or I'm doing things. If I have a day of like sitting behind the computer, dealing with problems, meetings, I'm just tired and, and drained. But then when I have a day like today, I got to train myself. I got to facilitate this morning and I don't, I don't get to do that as much as I used to because my team members do it. And now I get to have this amazing conversation with you, right? So I'm like full of energy and I'm pumped. So, and I think that it is one of the hardest things about being an entrepreneur is you're just, you're putting stuff out there and you don't always get that feedback, right? When you're, when you're an employee, they, they actually, we force people to give you feedback. We're like performance reviews, or we, we tell you you're doing a good job or you hear it from your teammates. When you're an entrepreneur and you're building a business, and you're just kind of sitting in there by yourself and you're putting stuff out there and, you know, whether people buy, don't buy, or maybe whatever your product is that you're putting out there, you don't get kind of that instant feedback. Then you just can kind of get into this weird headspace about, do I want to keep doing this? Do I want to move forward? Because you're not able to get that instant feedback. And so, you know, finding those moments or stepping out and doing those things. And you asked, you know, how can people get, get motivated to, to do that, or if they're feeling stuck or they're feeling in a rut. Um, and I'm not going to say the quote, right. Um, a speaker that I, I follow, I've read his book. His name is Seth Madison. And he talks a lot about the future of work and putting love in work. And one of the things he talks about is if you're not doing what you love, then you need to find the love in what you do. Because especially from an employee standpoint, we are not going to always be in the job that you love, right? So it doesn't feel like work. It's just not reality. Mm -hmm. And so if we're doing something that we don't love, you can change your perspective, right? Change your lens and you can find some sort of love in that. So if you're in a rut or you're stuck, the best way is to go help someone else, right? Is to step away from what you're doing or what you need help with and go make an impact on someone else and give them tools or give them support or cheer them on. And then you'll, you'll kind of be able to take that energy and bring it bring it back to what you were doing and re-energize yourself. So fascinating. I mean, I just love the breakdown and the correlation there that you gave us, Abby. Now, some exciting stuff. Speak about the summit. I believe you do it twice a year. You know essentially what that is and how people can find out in 10. Yes. So I do a retreat twice a year. So it's basically the Entrepreneur Project Live. It is a retreat for women. And it's for women in corporate, women entrepreneurs, women in, on the fence. Um, and we come together for a weekend. It's small and it's intimate. We only have about 10 to 12 attendees. We all stay together in an Airbnb uh, somewhere. And it's very informal, but I bring coaches in. So it's a place for me to connect people and build skills in a way that they wouldn't normally do it when you go to a big conference, when you have speaker after speaker after speaker, right? It's like 30-minute blocks and it's busy and it's networking and it's all this stuff. So, and we concentrate on the whole person. So the entrepreneur project is about creating strategies um, for both your personal and professional growth, right? I want you to have an impact inside and outside your organization. So it is everything from professional development. So Corey is speaking, this will be a second time speaking at one of them about building confidence in, in ourselves, our origin stories, 
um, and teams. I have an amazing coach who's an HR leader for some really big companies, and she'll talk about change management and feedback. So some of the things that really help us at work to having uh, a stress and anxiety coach or a nutritionist, right, so that we're really focused on our whole selves. So it's a lot of fun. Um, it's a great growth opportunity, and you leave with a new network of people, new skills. And like I said, it's more my style of learning and development. So we really focus on something for a long time so that you can get that one thing instead of saying, I need to give you all of this content in two days. So those, those are the retreats. We're about to do another one here in two and a half weeks. That one is uh, sold out. And then, you know, we do them one in the spring and one in the fall. And they're a lot of fun. It's incredible. I, I, I love the story about it. So for you personally, what do you do for fun as you're trying to balance the retreats? You have your business, you mentioned family. And so you have a lot, a lot of things happening. I do. I'm not a fun person, Brad. Like, like, people <laughs> tell you, they're like, you work too much. I like, except that it's not really like, work. Cause you work. This is yeah. fun to me. Right. But no. Um, so I'm a, I'm a mama, but my kids are flown and grown. They, they're adults and they, they live on their own, but luckily they live within 10 minutes from me. So that makes me very happy. Um, and my husband and I now, we love to travel. So we do that for fun. We love to uh, go find new places and go on adventures together. Uh, the introvert in me comes out. I love to read. I love to like craft and do those types of things. But, you know, all the normal stuff everybody likes to do. We love to go to restaurants and we love food and wine and playing cards. And so, you know, I do lots of things for fun. But the fact, like, you know, you said, if you love what you do, you never work a day in your life. You know, these things are fun to me. Like, having conversations like this, I geek out about it. <laughs> it's like I could do it for hours. So, um, but, I, you know, we do, we do lots of things. So best advice you've been given? Ooh, best advice I've been given. Um, it's going to sound really simplistic. But don't take yourself too seriously. It's good. I like probably that. Probably the best advice be I've been given. We're to all, I mean, it's really the, it's funny. I was speaking about it with, with Corey and essentially with you a little bit today that we're heavy critics of ourselves, right? And a lot of it goes to that mind mentality. And so if you don't take yourself too seriously and shake stuff off, as you mentioned, I mean, there's a lot of value to that. Yeah. So for those listening, and again, you've been incredible, Abby. I can't thank you enough for the last no. hour you've spent with us. Um, for those listening, how can they find you, learn about you, connect with you, and of course, learn more about the retreat? Absolutely. So um, I'm on LinkedIn, Abby Murata. Uh, I'm on Instagram as Abby Murata. So my name, uh, the Entrepreneur Project is out there as well. Or you can go to my website, abbymurata.com, and I have information on the retreat. Uh, my online library of courses and then speaking and all of that kind of fun stuff. So, well, you've been amazing, Abby. I, I can't thank you enough for sharing your expertise and wisdom and appreciate you coming on. Thank you. If you give value from the show, please support us by giving a five-star rating and review on whatever platform you listen to. And I also have a favorite ask. We've had some incredible guests that come on and share their wisdom, their knowledge about their business. So if you have friends or family members that could benefit from those episodes, please share it with them as well as any other business owners that you're networking with that could get value from the podcast or certain episodes, please share those as well. Again, subscribe, make sure you're following any questions that you have, topics. We've had uh, listeners reach out about certain guests that we should have on the show. Again, brad.l at aftconstruction.com. 
email me for topics to address, guests that we should have on, and even if you think you'd be a great guest for the show. So again, thank you for all your support and we'll see you next time.